Hey everybody, we've got a great podcast for you today. We're going to be talking about the topic of memes. We're going to discuss the history of memes, the role of Richard Dawkins and the origin of memes, and the future of memes in our culture. So if you're interested in these things, and uh, believe me, there's a lot of really cool stuff we're going to discuss, then I want you to grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and enjoy the podcast. You're listening to the All Out War Podcast. What's going on, everybody? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of All Out War Podcast. I am your faithful host, Turner, and I am joined in the studio with my boy, Rosie. What's up, Rosie? Hey, what's up, man? How you doing, man? I'm doing well. Yeah? How are you? I'm doing great, man. I'm doing great. And we have Cody. He is in the studio as well. What's going on, Cody? Making sure my mic situation's good. Oh, you sound good. You Can sound you like hear me out there. Yeah, you sound like butter this I'm this good. tonight. It's good Real stuff. Real good. Real good. <laughs> really good. Oh man, we have a great episode today. I'm so excited about it, man. And we're gonna jump right into it. Uh, we are gonna be talking about this issue and this topic of memes. It seems to have steamrolled our culture. Uh, it has taken over social media um it really got legs with instagram and uh and you can't even open up your instagram scroll scroll through your feed without seeing like just a crazy uh, just a meme after meme after meme and uh steven you have done just a tremendous amount of research to get us um some information about them and and what effect they've had on our culture and uh really we're gonna so what we're gonna try and do if i can just set up the the episode for us we're going to look a little bit about the history, the origins. We're going to talk about why memes have the effect that they have. And then also we're going to um, you know, end up, wrap this thing up by discussing um, some of the dark sides of, of what happens with memes and, and, and the memetics and the memification and whatever else you want to call it of our culture. And then, uh, and then lastly, I'm going to uh, bring home uh, what is a good Christian response to this and um, how to how to um, respond to what we see in our culture with memes and all of that? Because, you know, I think for the most part, people uh, think of memes in a very innocuous way. They don't they don't think of them as a bad thing. If they see something that's offensive to them, they just kind of scroll past it and move on. And they don't uh, realize that uh, that it has actually a more powerful effect than what they what they may be giving uh, credit to. But um, so, all right. So let's start off. Um, memetics. What? Where does that term come from? Who who coined that phrase? And and where do we get that? So I'm going to throw it over to you, Rosie. Oh, so memetics is <laughs> like how you said a lot of uh, a lot of research because uh, this is literally just from the uh, Wikipedia, <laughs> Wikipedia <laughs> page. That's cool. But uh, yeah, so I'll, I'll just read it right here. Memetics is the study of information and culture based on an analogy with Darwinian evolution. Uh, yeah. Proponents describe memetics as an approach to evolutionary models of cultural information transfer. Uh, critics regard memetics as a pseudoscience. Memetics describes how an idea can propagate successfully, but doesn't necessarily imply a concept is factual. So here's cool. what's interesting. The term meme was coined in Richard Dawkins' 1976 book, The Selfish Gene, but Dawkins later distance, distance, distanced wow, himself <laughs> from the resulting field of study. Anagulous to a gene, the meme was conceived as a unit of culture, which is an idea, belief, pattern, or behavior, etc., which is hosted in the minds of one or more individuals, which can reproduce itself in the sense of jumping from the mind of one person to another. Thus, what would be 
what would otherwise be regarded as one individual influencing another to adopt a belief is seen as an idea replicator reproducing itself in a new host. As with genetics, particularly under a Dawkinsian <laughs> interpretation, uh, a meme's success may be due to its contribution to the effectiveness of its host. All right. So to summarize, basically, so Dawkins coined this phrase. He pulls it out of his his book that he wrote, and uh, and he coins he he defines it as a transfer of information. Yeah. I mean, that's, essentially, that's, that's it. You boil it down to that. So it's a transfer viral. of information. What's that? Yeah. It's viral. And that's why, yeah, viral, that's a, right. the key where point the term to it. the going, genes right? going viral like a virus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I, I first was introduced to this in this book called Virus of the Mind. That was talking about memes, but yeah, it is. So that's yeah. Exactly. When you think about like the meme, and you're trying to get a, give a definition to it, it's almost that we've been been given the meme as a when, when was that written? A long time. yeah. And the internet's rise was around that time as well. But like what you said in the very beginning, like Instagram, mm-hmm. even Snapchat, ugh. Ugh. like these inst these instant um, vines. Yeah, <laughs> remember vines. vines? Yeah, yeah. Like the instantification of the information, the viralness of it brought the meme to a whole new generation where it became more than just information. And he even said in there, like, it's not actually based off of truth. Right. But it's the perceived reality of the one who's in the culture who gets it. Mm-hmm. There's tons of memes where you're never going to get it. Yeah, I totally... You're not going to the cultural context and you're dude, not going to get the words. There's so many memes that my son's my son will, like, be laughing about. I'm like, what's that? And he just shakes his head because you wouldn't get it. And I'm like, no, no, show me, show me. So he'll finally show me and it'll be like a SpongeBob... And SpongeBob's like doing, and all of a sudden it'll be like, like some crazy like over um, the overdrawn music, like where it's oh, the like distortion. Yeah, the distorted yeah. like, and 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 he just is giggling, and I'm like, I, I don't get it, and and I guess it's just like a savage kind of rage kind of uh, indication in that meme or whatever. But he gets it, mm-hmm. he's laughing, they get it. Um, it goes right over my head, but then there's memes that I'm looking at that I think are just completely hilarious and savage. And I sh- if I showed them to him, he wouldn't even get them. Yeah. So it's a it's very uh, it's it's very spliced to who it's going to go to, and a very very few memes will cross over generations. If yeah. they're you know you, if they're base, then they're going to be able to get a lot of people. Which I think is going to be interesting when we uh, <laughs> in the same way that we preserve. Or not we, uh, people have preserved hieroglyphics or certain writings or transfers of ideas that they wish to pass along. And that's really interesting, like, why a lot of stuff is actually buried by, like, older generations, which is actually done on purpose. Like the terracotta soldiers mm-hmm. and everything, they built those and then they buried them themselves because they knew that if they buried them properly, then they would be able to be unearthed when they were supposed to. So what does that have? So like a, like a time capsule almost. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so like the elders of the culture burying like the artifacts of the day. So right. They, so it's they gonna... didn't get lost. <laughs> right. Because they didn't trust the generation that came next, or it could be wiped out by a whole other nation. Right. And without going point. too much into that, it's going to be interesting to see. So that's the thing. Like when you look at a meme, um, you have like the. There's some things that I just don't get because I'm not part of like that culture, that subculture that gets a joke about some specific thing, but it may be, take the format of something that I do recognize. Um, but anyways, it's going to be interesting to see 
like in the future, like a hundred years from now, if people are gonna. So I think there's probably well, that's, gonna be. That's well, actually interesting because you can't really bury the internet. Like once it's on the internet, in the EU, yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, yeah, they passed that law, right? <laughs> but I think uh, what's cool is like you know the same. Once it's on, once it's on the internet, it's on the internet forever. Yeah, it forever. Never, it will never yeah. be erased. You can find it, right? So that's the interesting thing about this, and 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 it's just a matter of knowing where to dig, I suppose. Yeah. You know, and, if you. It'd be weird to be like that eighty-year-old guy, forty years from now, who looks. Well, back I won't be on, eighty in forty years from well, now. Whatever it would be. <laughs> And like you, you just grow up and you're like, oh, that was my meme. Yeah. Or you like you, you know, made it. <laughs> yeah, like your digital archive of like the memes that you made. Yeah. And the, yeah. Well, people have called like the last two years like the meme wars. Yeah. Yeah. For political reasons. But it's going to be interesting, and I'll kind of leave it at this: that there's going to be like esoteric, you know, like high right. priests of memetics that are going to be like, you know what? I understand the full context of, and they're going to be studying the stuff of like what happened at this specific time. Like Pepe the Frog or something like that. Like, oh right. Why, why do we care about this? Oh, it's not just because it's a frog. It's because this whole thing they're going to blame the election of Donald Trump as like this whole empowering movement. But it's going to be funny, like a hundred years from now, when they're going to be talking about like, oh, you don't understand. You know, like we're this esoteric. We know the the deeper meaning that's hidden within these memes. Yeah, I can see them like over culturally spiritualizing. And our well, movement. that's already happening. Oh yeah, when totally. Getting to all. But we do that now, like when we when we try and interpret hieroglyphics, like you were talking hieroglyphics, like we go, yeah. we send these, these, uh, you know, these digs out in, in the Middle East and they uncover something and they're, and they find a clay pot and it has some kind of inscription or it's some kind of picture. And they're like, so this came from a wealthy family that mm. obviously had slaves and obviously did. And you're like, how do you, from a piece of a clay pot, you can really do that? I mean, sometimes they can. Do you remember it, there was a friend of ours who posted a picture of a group of people like dancing in one direction, but then as that picture progressed, it looked like they were holding sticks, like they were ant people. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like yes. we were doing that. We were yeah. alive interpreting like a past event. <laughs> we were totally. They, they, yeah. they were trying to claim it was like some alien race. Yeah. On a, in a, on it was. A, in a, it probably yeah, was. Probably, I don't <laughs> know. <laughs> it's so funny. Exactly that's what a, we were doing. That's a whole other podcast, yes, man. Yeah. So you were talking about studying and, uh, you know, studying memes and, and all of that and, and just how it's affecting our culture. And, and the University of Cambridge has announced that it will actually have a course entitled Understanding the Analysis of of the meme revolution. And so there's actually a college course that's being given at Cambridge, which is a respectable... Was. Was was respect. Yeah, no, for real, though. I mean, there are aspects of that college that are still really strong. And but the fact that they're having a course on memes and, and, and kind of trying to study the whole idea of what's the impact and where it's going and, and what's been happening. I think that's a statement to something that a lot of people, and you know, honestly, like when, when I was in high school and I was getting ready to graduate, we used to joke around like, what kind of, where are you going to get your degree in? And people would make a joke about like underwater basket weaving or, you know, something stupid like that. Right. Completely. Probably sell that on Etsy though. You probably could, right? Actually, I know know of some underwater Mongolian basket weaving (laughs) forms. Of course you do. Of course you do. Oh man. <laughs> oh, oh man! Your, your point though is that people think these <laughs> can you put a degree like courses. yeah, of course, right? Yeah, and so like it's gender studies, which I would hit on a really, really <laughs> hard level, but I actually think it's necessary to study those studies. Yeah, Sorry. yeah, 
it says among the topics students of the course will be permitted to study, they will be studying cash me outside <laughs> memes and feminist discourse, <laughs> where go dat boy and Pepe myth or reality. So these are some of the uh, internet memes that they're going to be studying and trying to figure out like, you know, body is, physically it's uh, uh, with the cash me outside girl. Oh, but it's uh, like, yeah. to me, like you have a larger point, but I remember growing up accidentally. Mm. My parents didn't let me watch TV. Yes, they did. I'd watch Jerry Springer. No, it was exciting. Right. It was terrible. Totally deplorable. You wouldn't want to actually watch that for like real education. (laughs) That's why you would watch. But that's why you would Geraldo, Geraldo, or Donahue, or Oprah. (laughs) Yeah, but you see, like, it's just exciting to see what's going on, like right now. Yeah, and that's what the meme course to me looks like. Yeah, it's Cambridge. Whatever they got a name to them. Yeah. But in reality, they're they're making a buck. We're saying their name. Yeah, yeah. They're being relevant. They're putting next to gender studies a course that's an elective that's really not going to get you anywhere except for maybe, you know, more information about the culture, which right. I don't think that's a bad part. No, But no. I'm not going to pay for it. Yeah. Well, it, I was going to say it was really interesting that when I was pursuing my computer science degree, I actually took one of, you could, you had to take like English electives for computer science like major towards or geared towards computer science majors and i took one and it was i don't know something like some some weird name and all it was was twitter it was a senior <laughs> level i swear this was at a, one of the biggest universities did, did you the, ace it oh yeah i got i got an a plus yeah you should yeah well this is what actually got me onto twitter for the first time because i was like i don't know what to see they corrupted our youth yeah Man. I mean, it was a while until I got back on it. I did a summer class, and it was like six weeks. Yeah. But other than that, yeah, it was a respectable, I mean, a, a full credit, 4,000-level computer science class. Well, they say here on the in the Cambridge, they make a statement on, on the article that I'm reading. It says that uh, he, the spokesman for Cambridge says, memes are, essential, are an essential element of our culture, and if we do not equip our students to understand and interpret them, the university is in danger of losing ground to its more progressive competitors. There, there's the so, ideology behind why yeah, they want to do that. They want to harness... Yeah, I totally yeah. get that. Yeah, that's exactly what you were saying. So, so they're trying to they're trying to move their university into a, a more progr- a, a place that's going to be competitive with. But w- so they're making a statement in that statement that I want to point out, and that's this: that they recognize our culture is moving in a direction, and that memes actually are one of the factors that are moving it in a direction. And so this is why I, I think that it's important for people to understand it's not just a trend of something that in a year or two is going to go away, because what it's done now is it's gotten such uh, its talents have gotten so deeply into our culture, it's to, to pull them out is going to be nearly impossible. So what you're going to see is you're going to see the, that there, people are going to be trying to leverage that influence in specific ways. And so now this brings it to a place where memes no longer are about a cat trying to eat pizza and you know um you know some of the funnier ones that you know were early on that we all cheeseburger cheeseburger <laughs> yeah the cheeseburger one you know or whatever um now it's going to be about actually ide- implanting ideologies into people in a subversive way in a way that's dangerous in a way that's very um unseen and uh, that, that you have to be wise to know about and um and so like there's a statement called con- uh, 
a phrase called confirmation bias. Mm -hmm. And so that's probably where it starts. So what happens is, you know, this is just me speculating right now. So if I get off and you guys correct me here, but uh, what happens is I I have a belief on a certain thing and then a meme passes by me and it actually confirms my bias on that belief. And so now it, it reinforces what I believe. The problem is, is that what I believe may not be accurate. And that the thing that I always struggle with is that when you get a meme coming across your Instagram feed or whatever, it doesn't necessarily give you all of the truth of that particular topic or subject. So it's really dumbing down our culture to where they're, they're like Twitter. Twitter, when it first came out, it was, what, 140 characters? And so, you know, Twitter, I, I never, I always struggled with, I'm a talker, obviously, right? And I talk for a living. And um, and one of the things that I that I struggled with on Twitter was I could never get what I wanted to say in 140 characters. So, on one sense, if you were kind of like a witty person or you had some, yeah, you're pretty intelligent. You could you could uh, manipulate the sentence in a way, and you could say like my, my father-in-law has a great saying. He says, "Brevity is the soul of wit." And, you know, if you think about that for a minute, if you can, some of the most intelligent people you know, they just have one-liners and they just kill it, right? But it's when it's said and how it's said and the placement of it in the conversation that does all of that, the meme doesn't award you that opportunity because it's just is what it is. It's like that statement being permanently plastered onto a, a, a graphic and then sent out into the world. And, and if it happens to come across your view at that time, then, yeah, it has an impact. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I think it goes back to the, the maturity, the intellectual maturity of our nation, and it's probably not <laughs> yes. that great, is yeah. that we can't receive those with the emotional line of hu- like of humor and satire, but also to say, that's so ridiculous, that's not a part of my ideology. I'm not embracing that. Mm. You know, I'm not just going to believe it because it is agreeable to my low IQ or my Im- immaturity of where I'm at in my life stage. But where the meme is, sometimes with a lot of people, is that it is their newsfeed. It is their ability to agree with a greater swarm of, uh, of, an, of an identity. Yeah. It came from the individual you respect, so therefore it must be true or it confirms you're comfortable. It confirms where you're at. Yeah. And it doesn't demand that you go any further. Yeah. It doesn't ask That's for right. you to go That's right. and deep, dig deeper. There's no real true cryptic message in there. It's just it is what it is, and you've already agreed with it. And you're primarily getting these memes through the sources where you've chosen to follow. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a problem, but it's also one of those areas where that's a role of the individual's personal responsibility. Like, they have to be the one that's the mechanism that filters that. And I'm larger argument to make that we've we've not cherished the consciousness of individuals or of... You know, morality. Well, yeah, think about that for a minute. You know, historically, you had these great thinkers through history, and they would influence entire cultures. Where are the thinkers today? And where are the people? And so, like, for instance, I think back to, like, the Greek, you know, the Grecian times. You know, you have, you know, Aristotle and these guys that would, uh, 
that would be, you know, pontificating. And you would have literally disciples of these individuals, right? So they would gather crowds around them, and they would they would propagate their teachings, and and uh, and you would you saw it with Augustine, like in the early churches, mm-hmm. you know, uh, in in the early church, you saw it with different. In fact, even Paul addresses this. He's like, you follow Paul, you follow Apollos, you know, I follow Christ, right? And so there was actually people were following because of the information, the transformation, the transferring of that information, and um, that was a big part of it. You don't have that today. You have sound bites. We have a sound bite culture, and you're exactly right, Cody. There, no one's digging down into their conscience deeper than the surface level. And yeah, you were gonna say something. Oh, well, I was gonna say that kind of brings up the whole point of like why the Facebook. Uh, why, Mark? Why I'm so ridiculous? Like, if you were to say ten years ago that the uh, the Senate is going to hold a multi-day hearing on Facebook on, on asking Mark Zuckerberg questions about how he influenced the election, <laughs> you know, that's, right? Yeah, that's ridiculous, and and that just goes to show. And I always, I'm not going to say what I say um, about certain demographics or whatever, but I, I kind of sum it up, and I've just been saying this since all that came out about Cambridge Analytica, is if you voted for Donald Trump, or you didn't vote for Donald Trump and you voted for Hillary, or nobody voted for Jill Stein, um, <laughs> or you voted for Gary Johnson, which I guess you that's a whole other thing. Right. Um, but if you voted, basically, we're just going to go, if you voted for Donald Trump or you, did, you voted for Hillary, strictly on the information that you got in your Facebook feed, you don't deserve, you should not be able to vote. You're not smart enough. You don't, you don't deserve to vote. I mean, that's a whole other now, thing. Do you, that, let me just ask you a question. Do you make that state? Cause sadly I know people that have, that have done that. They've, they, they did very little research. They did very little investigating on, you know, fact checking on statements that were made by the candidates and all that. And I have some people that did some really great investigating and they were helping me out. Mm-hmm. You were one of them. You were one of them obviously. But uh, when someone does that, that's still, they, st- they they shouldn't lose their right to be able to vote. No, I, I know. I just I mean, I say that jokingly. Uh, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, sorry. Yeah. I, I guess. But you are right that you deserve what you get when you don't do the research. Well, yeah, you, know you shouldn't be upset. You shouldn't be upset about the outcome if you only voted based on memes or sound bites or... Yeah. Uh, thug life videos of someone taking down, you know, or something like that, or <laughs> right, know, owning. Or, or would you also say well, you shouldn't be upset if the other side voted that way? Because if they if they saw the meme and it changed their opinion, well, they're thinking that the other side only voted because they saw the memes that they. No, I didn't. I, the, you're going way too much into a, a one liner that I don't care about. Sorry, <laughs> just stay surface level with the line. All right. <laughs> That's be a meme, a man. Don't go deep. deep. <laughs> Don't go All deep right. on it. No. But with it, but that does bring up something too, because like Time Magazine, um, right. they just they just used a meme for their cover. Two of them. Yeah, they did it for two of them now. Second one. Okay, so Time Magazine uses a meme for their cover, and this is supposed to be an institution that's going to take us deeper. That's going to go beyond the consciousness, do some research, bring out some facts. Supposedly, now I'm, I yeah. have no respect for Time Magazine whatsoever. They've They've always been on that liberal side of things, and they have offended me multiple times. And I can start an article and know exactly where they're going to go with it. Within, with, and that's not confirmation bias. That's just legitimate. They've earned that based on their on their reporting and the way that they do things disingenuously. But 
and here's the other thing that's crazy. So all of the traditional media outlets are are slowly beginning to go into the toilet. Mm-hmm. Um, I was talking to somebody, and um, we, my wife and I have our cars in the shop. We have a car, a loaner to us right now, and it has XM radio. And my wife and I were out driving last night, and we were listening to the XM radio, and I was like, this is great. There's no commercials. There's, it's, it, it's, I'm literally tuned into exactly what kind of music I want to listen to. I'm like, man, this is, this is great. And, but I, what I realized is when we get in the car, one of the first things we do is open up Pandora, plug in our phone and run it through the, through the system, the sound system in the car. Nobody's listening to radio anymore. Nobody's the rise, even like of this media right here, a podcast, people are actually willing to listen to an hour long podcast. Um, you know, because the radio, it's full of commercials. It's just not appealing anymore. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Yeah. I was going to say, there's this one, one of the things that just upsets me so much and it's just a pet peeve at work is when I'm not going to go into specifics, but yeah. people will say, Oh, I love your podcast or the podcast you did last night directed at the person that I work for. And I want to say like, that's not a podcast. Like, <laughs> oh, they're they're calling a broadcast a podcast. Yeah, and it's yeah. like this was, yeah, it's a lot more than just some podcast that the person that I work for <laughs> right, has. Yeah, right? Yeah, it's a radio show that they also do it as a simultaneous. It just d- degrades that in my mind. That's just a pet peeve. No, but I'm with yeah, you. Yeah, I that. totally. Yeah. Yeah. So how does how do we move? Well, let's we'll, we'll talk about that. How we move our culture back in the right. How do we equip people to think deeper? We'll 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 talk about that at the end. But but when we start, I, when I mentioned confirmation bias, um, that was kind of like a doorway into what I was going. What I what I know, Cody. You want to talk about a little bit, and and this is what we call ideological subversion. We don't call it that. No. Well, that's what it is called. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> I say a we greater power has called it. that. Yeah. Right. And it's a legitimate threat and yeah. danger. And so how do let's talk about the connection between memes and ideological subversion when you move beyond confirmation bias. So you got a guy that's like, let's just, just use this as an we'll use an individual as just as an example. Obviously, we don't know anyone like this, um, but you have a guy that's a white supremacist. Okay, complete fascist, white supremacist. And then he starts to see memes that are coming across as just white. They're, they're going to they're gonna lean in that way. They're going to be catering to that mindset. So he has confirmation bias that is just strengthened by those memes. Where does someone go from that? How does ideological subversion mm. connect to something like that? Or are they completely disconnected? Rosie, you can hit on the history of ideological subversion because I just want to hit on one area in this, and it's the um, the idea that we 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 all are guilty to the, to the confirmation bias. Like every single one of us is guilty to that mm-hmm. to a degree. And I'll go back to uh, a play with his, which is the strength of the individual. It's the intellectual maturity, yeah, like the emotional maturity, which takes time for you to appreciate, like yourself, um, like your conscience. Like, what are you? putting into yourself and what are you allowing to be not i'll say this as a subjectively sounding what are you allowing to be truth mm-hmm. like what is your plumb line and for me like if it's the bible like i am a biblicalist like i believe the bible i believe what it says i'm uh, convicted by it i believe in jesus these are these are the plumb lines for me he is the truth the way and so with that my confirmation bias runs back up against my worldview and that's the bigger issue like what is your worldview so your confirmation bias can actually be a good thing if it's backed up by a worldview. And the worldview is universally experienced by all people. 
and um, I think Christianity in general is one of the most borrowed worldviews by the world. I mean, people, people steal the reality of how God created everything um, because by experience, they are seeing the fruit and the nature of how God created the whole world. There's a natural order of things. And so I'll say that, and confirmation bias sometimes is, uh, you know, just, it's just natural. Like, it's true. Like, it, it's confirming to my bias, but that bias is based off of truth. Mm-hmm. Not just my truth, but just truth. Um, so how somebody then can combat that with the emotional component, like being all ginned up about, like, what's happening in culture, being frustrated because things are yeah. changing. Yeah. Um, wanting to s- see certain individuals not come. <laughs> wanting to, um, you know, be in your presence or be in your country, be in your nation. Right, right. Uh, influence your laws. Um, and seeing a meme that goes to the extremes and, you know, has ethnic hatred built right, into it. Right. That's, again, a, a big problem, but it goes back to the ideological par- part. Like, who is promoting, who is creating these, and who's putting them out there for us to view? A lot of these memes are terrible because they're unauthorized. Like, they have no authors to them. Yeah. And so you don't know what side's putting them into the whole stream. Are there true players who actually believe that? They, they believe that you use the white supremacist. Yeah. Do they believe truly what they've done? Or are they really trying to do, which is another topic, troll? Mm-hmm. Trying to bring out the well, anger on the other side? Or are they trying to trick? So they use it as an intellectual weapon in some ways. Yeah. So they're trying to, to rile up the other side or someone that opposes their view. And they're also trying to gain followers into their view or strengthen those that already have have adopted themselves to their view. So so, so what I was going to get to is yeah. the first point of that is that demoralizes the actual morality of what should be sought after, which is truth. Truth. And in that case, when you're demoralized, either as an individual, assuming you know, your irrational truth is now true because it's agreeable to others. Yeah. So now you go out and groupthink. You not only demoralize yourself, but the individuals who you're spreading that to, they get demoralized because they're like, oh my gosh, people believe that. And there's enough of them. And they're out there. And they're bold. I can tell you. Demoralizing is a huge part in the subversive... And you feel feel threatened. Yeah. So you're demoralized in the fact that your power, your, your... your security, your safety, your established role is in is being threatened, and so then you're demoralized, and uh, and so the so the meme would come in and just be it's almost like a death by a thousand paper cuts mm-hmm. in that way, right? And some of them are bigger than others, right? So so it goes from demoralization. Then what's the next step that would happen in that process? Destabilization, and De- I guess we're going. We should preface this by we're going. Um, I, I think yeah, yeah. I, I speak for most of us. We're using this outline that was given to us, and I think it's important to kind of give a little context to sure. that. Sure, yeah. Is, um, <laughs> I'm sure that there's some people like us that, and even this is a little confirmation bias as a little aside, is that I always assume that most people, because I, <laughs> I know about this stuff, <laughs> or that we know about this stuff, or the people that we interact with on a daily basis are in the same boat and they read and are intrigued by the same amount of information and the same stuff. Um, but anyway, so anyone who is not familiar with what we're going to kind of break down, um, it comes from this interview with a former KGB officer. And um, what is his name? Yuri, I'm going to 
Just butcher it. It's <laughs> Yuri Alexandrovich Bezmanov. Bezmanov. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how I got that so good. Comrade. Comrade. <laughs> yeah. Trasvudia. <laughs> yeah, happy day to you too, sir. <laughs> but, uh, uh-huh. Yeah, so the next one, so he, he laid out the stages. So the first one he said was demoralization. The second one is destabilization. So what does that look like? What is what is it when a culture begins to de- become destabilized? What is that going to look like? And what's the role of the meme in that, if there is one? So, um, Rezzy, fill in the blanks here because you probably got some of the quotes. Yuri's uh, understanding of that was that the individual in the class, the group, the culture, the nation, which is being attacked, and um, go back one step, he even said that this isn't espionage. This isn't something where there's an actual campaign coming from another organization. These are things that are happening raw from within. Yeah. The enemy is within. And um, the destabilization is that nobody knows what truth is. Like, we've come to the end of our sources. You just got done talking about Time Magazine not being a trustworthy um, news outlet. Uh, Previously, that was not the case. Probably in 1949... That was after they named Hitler time yeah, yeah. at the right. end of the year. Right. Which yeah. is interesting because Yuri outlines twenty or thirty years to have this process. Yeah. And he actually gave us probably a, a hidden time um yeah. time code where in nineteen forty nine onward there was this crazy de- breaking down of both demoralization. You had the rise of uh the well, I'm probably gonna go into too much details, but um Joseph McCarthy, the rise of the red McCarthyism, McCarthyism, and all that. yeah, yeah. Yep. He was looking out for all the commies that were coming. Yeah, which he, I'd argue he probably wasn't wrong. He was just too excited about what he found. He overstepped a little bit, but yeah, he he was he was a great patriot. He did. I mean, it was totally legit. A lot of his stuff now, when we go back in the archives, at least what I'm doing is that he's coming to be to be true. Yes. What he was concerned about, but the um, the destabilization is throwing out so much random information that's not based on facts. It's based off of either ideology or now meme that dictates a truth to us, like the picture of Trump staring down the little girl. Yeah. Who the whole story, the background of the story, the facts don't matter to a certain side. Yeah. And can you imagine, I don't, I don't want to interrupt, but can you imagine in like you were talking about in the future, like 40 years from now, someone finds that Time magazine cover and they're like, hey, this is a publication or even 100 years from now, if we should go so far. Can you imagine they find that and they see this Trump, the president, looking at this little girl like, what are you doing in my country? <laughs> get, yeah. get back in your cage, right? I think an interesting component to this is that it won't take 100 years. No, it won't. It, it took won't. like two and a half days. Well, I meant, I meant <laughs> like someone that's unknown, that someone that doesn't even know the story, the, the details, and why they would even pick that as the cover and all that. You know, I'm talking about people I, yeah. that are removed from it. I think I'm, yeah, I'm hitting on another point to that, is the exposure of how wrong that was. Right. Or what they did, the intentionality behind it, was destabilization. It was the demoralization. Like, they, those components are wrapped up in there. So would you say that that was intentional on, on their Absolutely. part to destabilize? Do you think I that think they would admit that? because they want to push a narrative. Yeah, that's what R- I think, too. Regardless of what that image was, that's a good example. Yeah. Time Magazine wanted to push an image. Mm-hmm. And Rahm Emanuel said, famously, you never want to waste a good crisis. So this is all on a playbook. Whether yeah. they're reading it together, they've gone to all the universities. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're the ones that are coming out of these universities with the same core marching orders. Yeah. That seems to be, and here's one that we can talk about as well. Um, can you love your country, but also at the same time question your government? That's a big one right now. Yeah. Because yeah. right now we're told that all of our founding fathers, all of our principal um, 
you know, documents are intrinsically racist, white supremacist. They have within them built privilege for a class. And you can't look to the individual like a George Washington or a Thomas Jefferson. You can't look to them as patriots or founding fathers. You can't do that. Because yeah. to do that would be associate yourself back with right. the guilt that now we so, assign to them. So they used to call that like rewriting history and, you know, revisionist history and all that. And, and now so, they're, it's a destabilizing because if you can't trust the founding fathers, right, who do you trust? Right. And then so the, we must have a and, revolution. And they're, and they're mm-hmm. aiming at the Constitution. That's, what it, that's really what they're pinning at. So uh, just in the information that, that Stephen researched with this guy, Yuri uh, Bezmanov, um, he says that. 85% of ideological subversion, uh, it's a slow process. Is mm-hmm. 85% is what they call active measures, or it comes through what they call psychological warfare. So it's actually a methodical, thought out, and, um, and just rolled out process of psychological warfare, where they're just getting into people's heads in, um, in a certain way that they are destabilizing them, and then they're moving them into... What you're saying, revolution, would be a response to that destabilization, which is the third point, which is crisis. So they go from demoralization to destabilization to then crisis. And crisis is when you start seeing things happen. When you start seeing people being killed, you start seeing uh, action-reaction. And we're starting to see that now. We're starting to see... We're starting to see, you know, this is troubling to me. A few weeks ago, you guys know the story of the young kid that was in eating a hamburger and, and he had a MAGA hat on. And mm-hmm. this guy walked up to now. him. Yeah, and he walked up and he pulled the hat off and he put his drink, poured his drink over his head and all that. And then and then he threatened him and he threw everything in the trash and all that stuff, you know. And then that guy ended up getting arrested. Felony which, charge. Which was, yeah. which was good because this kid's a minor and... You shouldn't even be like, yeah. So, yeah. so that the state, the state of that individual that 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 committed that crime, he was already destabilized. He was already demoralized. He was at crisis mode. He sees our culture and he sees the the people that support Donald Trump as a it's a crisis in his mind, and yeah. they love that. They love when we're in that place. See, that's the important point that I think. I can't just stress enough is that all right, first of all, Putin during for the election, right? Because Putin is he's you know he runs it. And whatever he's he, the head he, of the country. He, you mean he, for he, Russia's election? No, for what are you talking about? You said Putin for the election, he, he runs it. What do you mean? No, by? I didn't say that. I said he runs Russia. So whatever oh, he oh, does, he oh. touches. So he's basically a monarch. <laughs> I mean yeah, yeah. there's no, there's no gotcha, gotcha. anything there. And so he he wanted Hillary. He would have much rather had Hillary. Yeah, I don't understand the other argument. Go on, yo. But yeah, because Hillary is is much less Crimea. less hawkish. She would have been a continuation of Obama. Yeah, which let him again. Yeah, the Ukraine, Crimea didn't do anything. So why? That's what he wants. He actually threatened us. Yeah, the, he, he says if you if you interact, it will be not be good for you. Remember that? Yeah, and we didn't do anything. See, the Russians. This is the whole thing. Ever since the basically the Tsars and everything, they have been fighting to reunify, especially after the fall of the USSR. Their entire thing, and this is straight Putin's ideology, is we need to reclaim all of former, you know, uh, ethnically Russian, 
and put them under this umbrella, and we need to be the superpower that we used to be. And so that's, that, that's their whole goal. And so Obama, uh, Hillary would have continued that. So he would have much rather had Hillary than Putin, uh, than Trump, rather. But here, here's the thing, is he didn't... Okay, they, it is, they did not hack the election. Our elections are unhackable. You cannot hack our election. Uh, semantics aside of actual hacking, because, you know, that they couldn't, they didn't change one single vote. They did not get into any of our voting machines and change any votes. They did not do any of that. That's impossible. All right. So they didn't do the election that way. All they did, and they didn't even want to swing it one way or the other. That's the other thing. They simply wanted to create a crisis. That they just wanted to <laughs> to keep using these terms destabilize, so they were fun- easy terms because they're they, you can yeah. put them right into what's happening. They funded and they operated the same way for both sides. So that's the thing they they keep think the liberal news outlets are saying, oh, you know, they're only pro Trump, pro Trump. No, the Russians did a lot of pro Black Lives Matter stuff. That you you have. They totally did all, all sorts of stuff like that. They funded both sides of operations, not in the same sense of George Soros actually giving money. Although I'm... It, There's one example It'll where come out, yeah. That Michael they, Moore went to a in, counter-protest to a pro-Trump rally. Mm. Both were set up by the Russian... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they're working both angles. They were working, well, it causes that, division. That's causing that See, demoralization. It, that's that, exactly. All that, they're trying to do is... They don't. They don't care. They just. They just want to sit back and go. Well, they're, we're, they're destroying themselves. What That's happens, what they wanted to do. Yeah, they yeah. wanted us to destroy ourselves and just create crisis. And I think this is true. So we, true. That's if so we look true. at both sides, um, the USSR, right? United Soviet Soviet Socialist Republic, whatever it's called, Communist Socialist. What it actually literally says in their name. Um, we're just not. That's not who we are. It's not our identity. We don't identify with that. We are, you know. Um, Free market capitalist from the very beginning. Mm. The, the ideas were built in there. Uh, private property built in there. So what happens when you have two superpowers like this, one lost their glory, one lost their land, one lost a lot of their power, um, Russia, there has been on their end, the, 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 they really did feel the demoralization, the destabilization. They had crisis after crisis. And then what they had was a normalization until Putin came back. Mm-hmm. And he was like, wait a minute, we were glorious. We were great. And we can be great again. I have to play on that. I didn't mean to yeah. that. No, <laughs> but he did that. He that. brought them back to a national prominence, with maybe in ideology only. Like, we are who we are. Mm-hmm. That is true. And there is no other force that's like us. We do have these nuclear capabilities. And then, uh, you know, with Bush doing his destabilization in the Middle East, having the breakup of a lot of migrant problems going into Europe, that was a favorable thing for Russia. Right. It really right. was. Yeah. And then when you had, I'm long-winded here for a second, but bear with me. When you have the opportunity for him to take a Crimea, take a Ukrainian type of crisis that they were having, a revolution in the 2007, I believe, internally becoming more nationalistic. It'd be interesting to study to see how much influence Russia had in that internal turmoil that the the whole thing was created by them. Not a single person was technically killed by Russia during the transaction for the Ukrainian. um, parliamental members who are in Crimea, all of them voted in the Crimean parliament to secede. <laughs> yeah. They voted after nine or 15 black 
ops from Russia right, right, came right. in and held them hostage. Of but, course, yeah. But I mean, I mean, leading up to that, though, the president. But leading up to that, the, all the turmoil that was was Russia was Russia the one feeding that, destabilizing them, demoralizing them. For the last before 50 they, years, they were trying to get back Crimea, and it just happened yeah. overnight. It Dude, happened within the month of like, you, April, March. Yeah, I remember that. It happened literally overnight. And and you know, I know I've been to Russia. I know I actually know a, a guy that his name was Yuri, by the way. He wasn't this guy, but. Uh, that we're talking about this KGB guy, but uh, he his dad was actually kidnapped by the communist. He was from the Ukraine, taken to Siberia because he was an artist, and he refused to make artwork to the state. He wanted to make personal artwork, and they took him. But the Ukraine was devastated by Russia and communism. They break away. They only have a short season of their own, and then all of a sudden here they come right back in. And the people are hardworking, ethical people. That's the crazy thing about it. It's a, the Ukrainian people are amazing people. They'll they'll make it through this. They'll 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 have resolve. But unfortunately, it's it's about power structure, right? Mm-hmm. And and but what I was going to say is the 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 way that they are systematically infiltrating areas of influence. Our colleges, academia. They get into the academia. They get into our media. Then they they get into um, other aspects of of our culture, and they're they're like a puppet master. There's something that I'll say that's kind of. Probably a little more, um, more context to maybe later, but you're absolutely right. The Frankfurt School, mm. 1949, again, that's a key number probably in all of this. Um, prior to their existence in the United States, this is a critical theory group that we now know of cultural Marxism. They were expelled by Hitler. Hmm. They were told to, to leave the country. They were, um, you know, Marxist ideologues, which Hitler was not. No, he's a fascist, right? Which is something where he played on, too, National Socialist, but he played on the idea of just being a nationalist who is a fascist in that sense. Like, right. Um, get into all that later. But they yes. were expelled, and then a lot of them ended up in our college campuses, and they started these critical um, theory type of um, thinking where classes must be divided underneath those that have and those that have not. This is the classic idea of Karl Marx. Yeah. That is everything that you see in uh, all of uh, the public and private universities. They, they will use this type of, um, maybe not as much private, but they will use this type of um, thought process or critical, not thinking, but critical theory. Critical thinking is what we want. We want to be critical about their thoughts, their actions, right, yeah. have individual responsibility and understand where they came from. But critical theory, in that sense, is something that was birthed out of um, you know, totalitarian, authoritarian type of a system in Europe and it expelled and it came to a free land like the United States because that's where ideas thrive and it was protected and it has been protected but I believe there was in that the uh, a bigger ideological power play was happening and um, you know we see it every every single time we put on the news or we see a protest it doesn't make any sense to us why are they fighting over that Wage inequality. Why are they fighting over racist issues? Well, why are they fighting over these divisive problems yeah. that are probably true on a micro level? You know, hatred is real. Yeah, yeah. But they expand them as these huge dividing lines that we must find our stand. Are you this? Or are you that? Right. And if you're not this, then you're not on the side of history. Yeah. And if you're not on the side of history, we will. This is crazy because I, I can hear people's minds being blown as as they're listening to this right now because what's happening is it's taking apart a worldview that they've adopted and it's it's literally telling them hey guess what it's like a red pill right it's like hey guess what 
that worldview that you have might actually have been developed by someone that was purposely putting it in front of you, playing on your heartstrings, doing all these things for the purpose of subverting you and subverting us and causing us to break down internally. I mean, when you think... And the interesting part about it is it might not be so like... There's a grand puppet you were using that? Yeah. Other than Satan, right? He's the author of Confusion. We're going to go there in a minute. But I think there have been uh, tools that have been put into place that if you understand some identifying factors in those as a Christian or as somebody who's just a critical thinker and you want to be more aware of, um, you know, truth and how to obtain it, how to properly filter it through your ideology. Yeah. um, You know, you want to look into some stuff, critical theory, you know, the, the Frankfurt school, uh, why they were all expelled from Germany. You know, the, the timeline of what Yuri talked about where it takes 30 or 25 years to infiltrate and change, um, a whole nation's perspective on their values, you know, that demoralization, the destabilization, the, the crisis that happens. And the interesting part that we can probably all see here is that what do Americans do when a crisis happens? When the freedoms that we love get attacked, namely what happens when it's us versus them. We like, band together. We band together. Yeah, yeah. But one of the most crazy things that we've done after 9-11 is that we start to take our own rights away. Right. I believe that's true with the Patriot Act. Patriot Act. You know, what's trying to be implemented is taking away your Second Amendment rights when all these shooters are running around. Like, these crises cannot be wasted off of what the left would want. Or at least, I can say the left, those that are assuming an ideological that leans towards... Yeah, I think this is important to bring up, too, about left and right and all that. The right is just as susceptible to fall to these tactics as the left is. And right now, we're just seeing our personal beliefs are being emulated more on the right than they are on the left. So, for instance, my my belief in the Second Amendment, the right to bear arms, to protect my family, all of that, to defend um, the left have a... so, And this is what I was talking about. They get into the... They get into the... Uh, the uh, our, our educational systems, they indoctrinate these with a, a, my, a worldview, and it's based on compassion, it's based on, on we want to save lives, we want to do this, and the good thing, but what they're doing is they're removing a right from somebody. And so right now, I, right now, the it's in my mind i have a lot of friends that are on the blue side of things and it's that's terrible it <laughs> it's probably the best thing for me and i'll tell you why because it keeps me in dialogue and it causes me to think more about what i do believe and why i believe it not just jumping into a, a bandwagon or a confirmation bias mindset do you know what i'm saying yeah it's it's really challenging me now there's things that we'll just never agree on. For instance, abortion. I just, it's a living human being in the womb. We're not going to agree that it's okay to kill that. We're just, I'm just never going to agree to that. And there's certain things we're just never going to agree on. Uh, But we're not like at war with one another over this. I would, you know, this is a right for a life. It's a pretty big deal. But the reality of what I'm saying is that allowing myself to have friends that are on the other side of the table is actually helpful for me. We're losing that dialogue. Yeah, That's what, what you're I'm talking saying. about is like the classic sense of tolerance. Yeah, yeah. Tolerance isn't the acceptance of the behavior, but it's the acknowledgement of their existence. Yeah. And being able to have restraint yeah. in front of them. Because we, like we were talking about the MAGA hat. Yeah, the restraint right. is the law that prosecuted them after the crime was committed. Right, so it's that's too tolerance, late. and it's too late though. At that, but that's point. classical tolerance. There's laws that actually will say there's 
there's a corrective in this. Right. Like the kid will not just be mowed over. Right. Like his rights will not be trampled upon. Right. Tolerance is that it will be, there will be consequences. And you, you will tolerate that as the individual who will be going to jail now. Yeah. And there's the, there's the appreciation of civility. Like yeah. Tolerance to people now is just, hey, Steve, that's cool. You can do whatever you want. Hey, you know, yeah, it's, whoever it's, you are, whatever, so long as it doesn't hurt me. Yeah, that's, that's why libertarianism is a joke. <laughs> it, that's where it breaks down it's at true. that level right there. That's where it breaks down completely. But I'm, I'm all mean? for small government. I'm all for less regulations. Uh, like, you know, I was thinking about today. I was driving my car. Libertarianism, right? I didn't get what you said where it breaks down. It breaks down when... You it, mean libertarian breaks down? Right. Okay, libertarian gotcha. breakdown yeah, yeah. when they, when they say, you can do whatever you want, right, just right. don't hurt somebody else, you know? And it's like, no, that's... Fetus. Right. Person or not. <laughs> right. Or, well, okay, here's the other thing that I wanted to bring up, and I was just thinking about this as you were talking, Cody. The speed at which things begin to break down, and mm-hmm. when you move from that demoralization to that de- destabilization, then into crisis, how the speed from destabilization to crisis is insane. And even today, okay, I'm just going to, this is current right now. I don't know when you're listening to this, um, but this is July of 2018. And the the big thing in the news right now is this whole trend of pedophilia acceptance, oh. right? And I am my mind is trying to wrap myself around this concept, not because I agree with it or think it, that they should, but how did it even get traction? Where did it become acceptable to even begin to have a dialogue that this is okay to have sex with children in the sixties? Gender studies, bro. No, but but here's it's my an, thing it's from the sixties. I I know the origins. I know that there's always been this faction of deviant people. Thanks, Obama. Right, right. <laughs> it became the, the word tolerant switched up on us. It did. It's no longer just that it's... It, and it's not just a slippery slope, but this is actually... It's it's something that's been thought out. It's actually planned. They're like, oh, we got that. Let's get this too now. Let's get that too now. And they keep extending the unbelievable... What's What's next? Animals? Like I don't know. No, I think this was the uh, this is the bottom this is, for me. This is my understanding. This was the the barrel of it, the bottom. That was what when they were intending all around. No, but I think the ideology has no moral oh. fiber, has no moral end to it. Yeah. But for me, like this is this is the threshold. Like this is where people start to say a, a moral line has been crossed. Because well, if we weren't going to do it when we were killing babies, right? I don't know what they're what's going to take to say you can't you know have sex with and it's rape in my understanding. No, Children. absolutely, hundred percent. It's, it's rape. It's evil. There's no consent involved. There's there's absolutely no cultural, social construction of love. Yeah. You know, love has no age. That stuff is, it is, the last point was it's normalizing it. Right. You've brought it to the point where you've demoralized. Well, we're, it's not normalized yet. But well, what, the, the conversation's that, happening, but the fact that it came up is what scares me because. Well, you have people who are promoting it as normal. Right. Like that is and they're the getting, arrival and of something different. They're getting all kinds of, of attention and they're getting virally. There was a TED talk. Yes. That's a philosopher. Unbelievable. Who basically came out. And I, again, I can parse some of this and kind of agree that somebody who's identified as a pedophile is never going to change. I mean, there might be some truth in that. Like repentance is not a thing the culture wants to talk about. Right. Like if you don't identify it as a sin, you're not going to repent of it. Right. You're not going to change. So they're preaching, or at least a, have access to the power to be changed. You can't pray it away, right? I mean, they don't want us to do that. Well, we can't have that conversation. Yeah, but they're talking from a pure secular point, and they're when you analyze it from that point, you're like you can't change. There's nothing for you in culture that wants you to change. So there's that word tolerance. They've they've pushed it from saying, "I can see that you exist," 
but you're not going to have any violation of the child's rights. They've pushed that away, and they say, well, you know, they're here, they're normal, you accept it. Behavioral-wise, the analytics show they actually never change. So our argument at a secular level, accept them. Whereas the Christian's view, or at least someone with compassion, says, wait a minute, that's, that is not by nature normal. By the light of nature or even by just biological um, definitions. It's not normal. Yeah, there's no, there's no confusion on, uh, amongst us that this is normal in, in any... Dysphoria. The whole genre is based off of <laughs> There's confusion. No, there is no confusion in this studio right now that that is wrong, evil, sinful, and Someone bad. out there might think it. Uh, out there? Well, they might think it, but we need... TV land. Yeah, and TV land. So, so, so this has started as memes. We've gone all the way into confirmation bias to ideological subversion, and now we're, we're talking about pedophilia. It's been a great podcast. I'm really loving this one. But the, the truth of the matter is, is this is that as believers, as Christians, because we're coming up on an hour now, and, and I wanna, what I want to do is, is let's, let's give some armor, some weapons, some, some help to someone out there that's a believer that's listening to this, a Christian that's listening to this, because they need to know what and how to approach these things. I, I think, look, if you're seeing meme cat memes, and even if you're seeing political memes and they're funny and all of that, that I think there's a certain level of harmlessness to that. It's okay. I'm not. I'm not condone, condemning that at all. But there's a much deeper and more real thing happening. The Apostle Paul speaks to this in Second Corinthians chapter ten, and I'm just going to read a couple verses, starting in verse three. He says, "For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power." To demolish strongholds, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. And I just love what Paul says there because he gives he gives a a uh, a template for us to lean into as believers and to begin to apply ourselves to thinking and knowing that, look, we want to hold every thought captive into the obedience of Christ. And that is a difficult thing. I don't know if you've ever really tried to do that because your mind is just a wild thing. Our mind, My mind is a wild thing, and it's very difficult to be tamed. It's going to take God himself. It's going to take the Holy Spirit. But he says this is not a it's not we're not waging weapons with the the way that the world that the world does. And so we need to put ourselves on a on a on a thinking side of things and we need to begin to evaluate what we're allowing into our hearts and minds and we need to begin to weigh them out in light of scripture in that way. And I think that's the first best step that a person can take to really begin to equip themselves to be prepared to face the culture. It says coming up against the knowledge of God. So yeah. that, my whole argument that I... That's I'll the bottom line, right? ...continue to make is it's, it's a battle of worldviews rather than a battle of ideologies. Ideologies are shifting. They're changing, momentary. You and I could hold certain ideologies on a particular issue. Yeah. But our worldview is what we um, fix everything through, and we see whether or not it's by the light of nature, by God's revealed word, and by that, like, we're able to operate on a functional level 
on a utilitarian level. Like we're able to actually have production. We're actually have a good life. We're actually, you know, able to have a society that's, you know, people talking about civil. We're actually able to have conversations if we have a worldview that's operating with reality. And that's primarily what the memes come back down to is that some of these things, the worldview behind them is wrong. Yeah. And so when you, you ingest them, you know, it's, it's allowing the worldview within you, depending on how you're filtering it, just confirmation bias. You're, you're being just wave a wave of filth is coming on you or just passing the cat memes, whatever it would be. You're just having a leisurely time through that. Yeah. And it's not really affecting you negatively. And the biggest thing is to check your worldview. You know, we talk about checking your privilege, but check your worldview. Like, where is your plumb line? Where have you set yourself up? Because it's either going up against the knowledge of God or you're going up against the strongholds of arguments that... They'll never, they'll, they'll, they'll never get you where... When you start to argue with people, they don't... It doesn't work out that way. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I love those... That meme I saw of... Uh, <laughs> I'm going to bring up a meme. It says, you're... Uh, I think this is the way it was in reference to the election back in November. Is like your uh, your political meme totally changed my mind, and I'm gonna I'm gonna vote now the other way. <laughs> that's, you know? that's Rosie's point, where he's talking about like if that's actually what happened, you don't deserve right, to vote. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's like a bumper sticker. You know what I mean? Memes are like a bumper sticker on a car. They they pass by you, and they, they might have some wit to them or some kind of you know pithiness to them. But but as a as a doctrine, they just aren't thought out. Yeah, you know? like woe to the one who learns by memes. Right. Woe, woe to the one who learns by memes. Exactly. And that's probably the whole point of this podcast is that let's dig deeper. I want to encourage anyone listening, dig deeper. Don't just, just don't freely adopt that mindset. Dig deeper, find out what it meant, where it came from, who's, what it means to, 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 you know, extrapolate out that thought in, in your own life and, and others' lives. And then, and then weigh it against the knowledge of God and his word in particular and see where that ends up. And, and it, that's hard to do. But this is what we've been called to do. This is what, and this is where Christians are going to set themselves apart in our culture. We've, we're thinking things through. We're challenging ourselves first, and then we're also able to then be equipped with the knowledge of God and then, uh, and then challenge the worldviews that we're in, man. Well, dude, this has been a great, a great podcast. I've enjoyed it. I, I, I love this whole concept and maybe we should do a whole nother podcast on ideological subversion because I think that's something we could pull apart and start looking and trying to figure out ways that that's happening in our culture outside of just the, the surface that we scratched on it today. And I think those four are probably something that the individual can just go back and look to see whether or not they do that, even in small arguments. Yeah. It's a blueprint just for just, how to like observe behavior. Yeah. And I think it, it's good. And I tell you, man, that the enemy, you know, Satan started doing this ideological subversion right away. If you look at the temptation in the garden, the way that he did it, he, he called into question the authority of God. You know, he, he, mm-hmm. he demoralized Adam and Eve with the question of, did God really say so? And then, uh, you know, you just see this whole thing happen and what happened from it was the fall of man. And he, his, his schemes have not changed and, and since the beginning of time. And, uh, and so why should we expect that they'll change anymore? Because they've been so effective. And, uh, and it's really the only thing he knows. He's the father of lies, and he's been lying from the beginning. 
So still kill and destroy. Still kill and destroy. That's right. But thank God for Jesus Christ who gives us salvation. Mm-hmm. Amen. Absolutely. I'm he restores. So, that's right. He restores, rebuilds, and repairs and heals. And I just I'm so grateful that God gave me the grace of salvation, man. I'm so grateful that He I was reading in saved me. Thessalonians where it says we wait eagerly for His arrival because He's going to save us from the wrath. I'll leave it on that note. <laughs> Sorry. No, that's a good spot. Yeah. There's the wrath that He saved us from. So I'm thankful for that as well. Amen. Amen. Well, guys, it's been an awesome podcast. Thanks for uh, listening. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of All Out War. And now you know a little bit more why we do what we do. It is a war, and we are involved in it, and we want to see the glory and the victory of Jesus come through. And we just pray that you have a blessed day. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to the All Out War podcast today. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you want to know more, you can visit us on the web at alloutwar.us or you can find us on Twitter at AllOutWarCast. Hey, thanks again for listening and we'll catch you next time.